Well, there are two types of men in this world. There are the Mr. Fix-It types of men who can fix anything under the sun. And then there are men like me. Men who can't fix anything. I mean, not a single thing. In fact, a toothbrush in my hand is dangerous, okay? Let alone tools, just a toothbrush alone. And my whole life has kind of been like that. I remember in seventh grade, uh, you know, getting kicked out of industrial arts class because I about killed somebody with one of those drill presses. And uh, I also remember my first job at an American playground factory um, doing some things with tools that I shouldn't have even had in my hands, but uh, I hurt only a couple people there. But to my amazement, a couple of weeks ago, I had like a great experience. And what that experience was, I repaired the first thing ever in my life. And it was a successful repair job. You see, the sink in our bathroom had not been draining very well. In fact, it didn't drain. It actually, when you, you know, turned on the faucet, the water would actually start to rise uh, because there was something stuck in there. And so there's a guy here at the church who does some plumbing on the side, and I called him, and I said, hey, you know, I need to have some help on repairing uh, this sink. Wondered if you could help me. And this was his first question because he's seen my skills before. And he said, are you repairing it or is Jennifer my wife. And I said, well, I'm doing it. He said, I'm coming right over. I said, no. I said, I can do this. And I was more determined than ever to fix the sink. And so he told me what you need to do is get underneath the sink. And for you, Chris, you need a big bucket, like as big as you can get. And get underneath that, put that bucket underneath the S-trap. And I thought, S-trap? What is in the world is he talking about? I had no idea. I'm looking down there. Nothing looks like an S to me, you know. And he kind of helped me through it. And he said, and what you'll find by the S-trap is these two plastic nuts that you have to unscrew and then pull that off. And so I get underneath there and I see this. I got my bucket underneath and I pull this thing out. And there is some of the nastiest stuff ever in this little S-trap. Anybody want to guess what it was? My wife's hair. Not my hair, my wife's hair, okay? And it was nasty, and it had soapy stuff in it, and it was black, and it was just horrible, all in there, and it smelled to high heaven. And the guy that I was talking to said, now once you get that and you clean all that out, then you need to go up in the pipe with, you know, like a little wire brush or, uh, you know, a screwdriver or whatever and get all the rest of that out. And so two hours later, after doing all of that, it literally did take me two hours. I eventually got the pipe all cleaned out, the S-trap ready to go, put it all back together, tightened everything up. And there I am, okay? And the water now drains perfectly. Can you give a brother a little something? Okay, here we go. You're so loving. You're just so loving. Don't ask me to help you get your drain unclogged, okay? 
You know, often, though, what happens is our relationships need repaired as well. We have a tendency to get stuck in our relationships. We hurt others, and others hurt us. And eventually, so much stuff builds up in our lives that no longer can we drain the pain. But it gets stuck, and it begins to hurt, and it even begins to smell. You see, every single person here has one thing in common. We all are a part of broken relationships. Whether it's with your ex-spouse, or your parent, or your brother, or your sister, or an aunt, or a boss, or a friend, we have all had relationships that have caused us pain. But rather than naming that pain and getting underneath there and starting to repair it, what we typically do is we build up walls and we just stay stuck in our pain. And we let the hurt continue to happen. But when we do that, what happens is we lock other people out of our lives. We keep them from becoming a part of us. And we get more and more distant. Today, what I want to talk about is how we repair relationships by looking at the sixth choice of our Life's Healing Choices series that we've been going through. And there are two kind of words of wisdom that Jesus gives in his most powerful and important teaching called the Sermon on the Mount, because he gave it on a mountaintop. And he gives this list of things called Beatitudes, and two of them we want to look at today. The first one, he says this, Happy are those who are merciful to others. And then he says, happy are those who work for peace. Folks, when we are merciful to others, what it means is, is that we are willing to forgive other people whether they deserve it or not. In fact, that's what that word mercy means. It means that you do something for the person, you give them a break, you cut them some slack, when it's undeserved. Receiving something that's undeserved. And when we work for peace, kind of that second word of wisdom, it means we put some real effort into making amends with people that we have hurt, who we have caused damage to, who we've wronged, who we've not allowed pain to drain, but we've just continued to allow it to grow and focus. So the question becomes then, how do I repair my relationships? We all have them. They get broken at times. So how do we repair them? Well, it all comes down to this sixth choice. And regardless of whether you've been here during the whole time or this is your first time, this is an easy way to kind of get plugged in. And let's read this choice together. It'll come up on the screen. All of us together, let's read it. I evaluate all my relationships... Offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me and make amends for harm I've done to others, except when to do so would harm them or others. Now, that sounds real easy, doesn't it? But it is the hardest thing in the world to do. Because the reality is, folks, all of us have these long lists of people who we have hurt or who have hurt us And they are endless, absolutely endless. From the little kid in kindergarten who kicked you in the knee 
to the divorce that maybe you have experienced and how difficult that's been. Throughout that time, we have been wounded, and there is this list of people who have hurt us. And the reason we do such a poor job of doing that, of seeking forgiveness and making relationships right, is because of this. We love poorly. We love poorly. I mean, when we get right down to it, folks, we don't love very well. And because we don't love well, we are constantly hurting each other and we are in need of forgiveness and mercy and grace on a daily basis. Now, for the rest of our time together, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a story that Jesus tells on forgiveness. And the story is found in the first book of the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, in the book of Matthew chapter 18. And uh, if you would, you can look at the screen or look in your program and uh, follow along as I read it. At this point, we're not sure exactly what point that is, but at this point, Peter got up the nerve to ask, Master, how many times do I forgive a brother or sister who hurts me? Seven? And at this point, uh, what you find is that Peter is thinking, man, I'm being generous. I mean, think about that. How many people in your life have you forgiven seven times? Probably not a whole lot. Now, some you're like, man, I've forgiven them a lot more, but seven times. And Jesus replied this, seven, hardly, try 70 times seven. The kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. As he got underway, one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of millions of dollars. He couldn't pay up, so the king ordered the man, along with his wife, children, and goods, to be auctioned off at the slave market. The poor wretch threw himself at the king's feet and begged, Give me a chance, and I'll pay it all back. Touched by his plea, the king let him off, erasing the debt. The servant was no sooner out of the room when he came upon his fellow servants, who, a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He seized him by the throat and demanded, pay up now. The poor wretch threw himself down and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it back. But he wouldn't do it. He had him arrested and put in jail until the debt was paid. When the other servants saw this going on, they were outraged and brought a detailed report to the king. The king summoned the man and said, you evil servant, I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asked for mercy? The king was furious and put the screws to this man until he paid back his entire debt. And that's exactly what my father in heaven is going to do to each one of you who doesn't forgive unconditionally anyone who ask for mercy. Now, I don't know about you, but this story makes me uncomfortable. And yet the reality is, this story has changed my life several times, including just a couple of weeks ago. So, what I want us to do is look at the two main principles that Jesus gives us in this teaching. Two principles that can change your life dramatically today. The first principle is this. I have been forgiven so I can forgive. I have been forgiven so I can forgive. The foundation for all of us to be able to forgive 
This huge list of hurts and wounds that we have accumulated over time is realizing this. It is because we've been forgiven. And because we've been forgiven, then we can forgive other people. In our story, we have this servant who has worked for a king. The servant wakes up one morning, and little does he know that on that particular day, Judgment Day, is coming to him. This is the day that everything is going to come down. He doesn't know it, but today is his Judgment Day. He's just bebopping along, enjoying his day, when all of along, the king summons him to come to his chambers. So he comes in, and the king is kind of looking over some books, and he notices on the ledger that, whoa, this servant owes me a huge, gigantic, enormous amount of money. A lifetime of debt. And the king says, pay up now. I want my millions of dollars now. And if you don't, I'm going to put you and your family and your goods, everything, on a slave auction. And so this man kind of falls down on his knees and on his face and he begins to beg and says, Please, please, if you could, just give me some more time. I'll pay it back. I'll pay every penny if you just give me a little more time. And the turning point comes because the king somehow has this change of heart and he looks at this gigantic debt, this ginormous debt, and he says, okay, all right, forget about it. It's kind of like the Sopranos or what's that called, Jersey Shore, right? Forget about it. Forget about it. I'll wipe it off the books. It's done. Go about your way. We'll never talk about it again. You're free. Forget about it. I let you go. I release this debt. Now let's pause there for a moment. Because what is this story really talking about? This story isn't talking about money. In fact, those are just placed in there because it's talking about how big the debt is. But you know what this story is talking about? It's talking about you and me. And it's talking about the debt that we owe to a king. And the king is God himself. We owe a gigantic, enormous debt that we can never repay. The debt is due to every single thing we've ever done or said or thought that has ripped other people down, has destroyed lives of folks who has hurt God, who has even hurt ourselves. It comes down to the fact that many times we separate ourselves from God and we say, I'm my God, I can do it better. And so we owe this gigantic debt that we can never repay. And the reality is, no matter how hard you work, folks, you can never repay this debt. I don't care if you obey all the Ten Commandments and you follow them to a T for the rest of your life. I don't care if you never say another unkind word. If you give all of your money and goods to the poor. If you do everything in a nice, loving, caring way, it wouldn't be enough. The debt that you have to the king is unpayable. 
We can't do it. We can't ever, ever repay it back. So in the king knowing this, and God knowing this, that he has us down, why does he forgive me? Why does he forgive you? Why would he have so much mercy on us when he knows that we have a debt that is so huge we could never repay it? And you know what? When I think about that, this huge, huge debt, it takes my breath away of how much God is amazingly in love with each one of us. The reason why he can take care of this debt is because of Jesus. Jesus left heaven, the penthouse of life, and he came down here to live among us. And he didn't just live here, but he actually allowed himself to be ridiculed as God's only son, to be put down, to be beaten, to finally have a shameful death on the cross as God himself. But in that moment, he took on all your debt and all the debt that I owe. And the reality is, folks, we could never pay it back, the debt that we owe to God. But because of Jesus, he takes on that debt. Everything that you've done, everything that you've said, everything that you've thought, from now, from your past, to the day that you die, he takes it all on. You talk about an enormous gift of mercy given to us. Now the question is, why does God forgive us over and over and over again? I mean, I don't know about you, but I blow it all the time. We flub up, we mess up, we screw up constantly. There are some people in this gym right now that have done some things that no one else knows but you know, and it is dark and nasty and horrible, and you're ashamed of it and embarrassed. It's a skeleton in your closet that you have never revealed to anyone, and you think in your mind right now, not even God could forgive me. And I just want you to know that if there's something in your life that's like that, you're wrong. I don't care what it is. You're wrong. God's amazing love is so wide that it encompasses everyone in this gym and everyone in this world because of the debt that Jesus paid for us. You see, the reality is, God already knows you've blown it. <laughs> he knows it. And He doesn't push you away like your ex-spouse did or your parent did or your, or your mom did or your dad did or a stepmom or a step-parent or an uncle or an aunt or a grandmother or a grandfather, a boyfriend, girlfriend. He never pushes us away when we blow it. He says, come here, come closer. I'm here for you. But why? Why does He do that? Why does He constantly treat us with kindness? You know, one of the first scriptures in the Bible that I ever memorized was Psalm 103, verse 1. And it says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Bless His holy name. What's that mean? What does it mean to bless Him? What does it mean to praise Him from the depths of who you are? You see, the reality is Chris Bunch 
And every single person in this place, we have caves that are deep within our souls. They're deep and they're dark and they're a part of us. And no one else sees and we hide that part, but God sees. He sees the places that are dark and painful that no one else, that no one else knows. He sees the places where you struggle with your hurt, where you question, where you doubt, where you wonder if God is even on the planet. He sees when you walk away from Him. He sees when you cry in agony. He sees every single thing that's in these dark caves of your life. And you know what? He never runs away. He never runs away. God loves you. He has an endless amount of mercy, more than the oceans can hold to give to your life. And he doesn't run. And because of this, what he says then, because of this gift that I've given to you, I want you to treat other people the way that I treat you, with mercy and kindness and grace. But I don't know about you, but the hardest thing in my life, ever in my life, is to forgive other people. Hardest thing. I mean, I know the first point. I've been trained on the first point. My parents told me about the first point. You know, I've been forgiven by God, so you must forgive other people. And from the outside, it seems really simple, right? A plus B equals C. You're forgiven, so forgive other people. But the issue is, I have a problem. I don't like to forgive people. I don't. And some of you are going, whoa. (laughs) Kind of your holy smirks out there. I know some of you pretty well, okay? You ain't that holy. The reality is, I don't always like to forgive people, and you don't either. You don't like to forgive people all the time. In fact, I kind of did a moral inventory. That's one of the things that we've been doing in these uh, six weeks. And I looked at my 38 years of life, my 15 years of marriage, my 14 years of being a pastor, and the uh, close, intimate relationships in my life. And as I went through all of that, the thing that I found, every time I wasn't successful in a relationship or that there was some sense of unhealthiness, you know what it was due to? Unforgiveness. Every single time, unforgiveness. Both my stubbornness to forgive other people and my fear to ask people for their forgiveness for the bonehead things that I've done in my life. And often, even though the equation is, God has forgiven you, so you forgive other people, you know what it is for me? God has forgiven me, the heck with the rest of you. And this can be so dangerous, and it can lead us to a place that's not healthy, and it can lead us to a place of the second principle, which says this. The unforgiving become the unforgiven. The unforgiving become the unforgiven. If you would, let's go back to our story about the king and the servant. We pick it up with the servant receiving this huge gift of forgiveness. And the servant just kind of skips out of the king's chambers and he's happy and excited. He's so ecstatic because all of this debt, millions of dollars of debt, a lifetime of debt is gone. 
He's avoided prison. He's avoided uh, his family from being put in prison. He's happy. He's ecstatic. And he's skipping along the road when he notices somebody who owes him money. And he grabs the guy in the face and he goes, Hey, you, you owe me money. I want it now. And the guy's like, okay, I realize that. And he's like, no, I don't want your realization. I want the money. I want it now. And if you don't, I'm going to throw you in prison. I'm going to put your family in prison. If you can't pay me it right now, you're done. You're toast. I don't know about you, but there are many times in my life that I don't want to admit it, but it's true. That I'm more like the ungrateful servant than I ever even come close to being like the king. I mean, I could have played that part. I could have written my name in that part. It's embarrassing to admit, but the reality is, when it comes to my sin, when it comes to my wickedness, when it comes to my weakness and failure, I want mercy. I want God to pour mercy on me. I want Him to forgive me. I want Him to love me. I want Him to take care of all those things. I want His mercy in my life. In fact, even the people that I hurt, my family, friends, people in the church, when that happens, I want them to be able to say, Oh, it's all right, Chris. I know you had a hard day. It's been a rough week. Don't worry about it. It's okay. You hurt me yesterday, but I know you've been going through a lot. It's fine. I mean, I'm greedy for mercy. I want it so much in my life. But when someone else hurts me, or they hurt someone in my family, I'm not interested in mercy. I want justice. I want that person to pay. I want them to pay up. They hurt me. They need to pay. They wounded me. I'm angry. I deserve to be angry. What they did to me, they owe me big time. And if you don't like it, too bad. And you know what? I might even bring what you did to me up a few times later on, just to let you know how upset I am. And we can all fall into the trap of holding on and staying stuck in our unforgiveness, in our hurts. But in this story, when the king finds out what the ungrateful servant did, he calls him into his chambers and he says this, You evil, wicked man. I forgave you a debt that you could not repay. I forgave you a debt that there's no way you could ever repay. Why couldn't you have mercy and forgiveness for someone who just owed you a small little debt? Why wouldn't you show mercy? So it says that they threw him into prison and they put the screws to him. You know what that means? They tormented him. Now what's the point that Jesus is trying to make right in that particular verse? They put the screws on him. They tormented him. When you have unforgiveness in your life, you know what happens? You place yourself in a torture chamber. You torment yourself with bitterness and resentment. And you know what they're finding in many, many medical studies? People die because of bitterness. They do. 
Because if you hold on to bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness, a wall begins to build around you and in your heart, and you stay stuck in your pain. And the torment that you put yourself under, you can't break. Now, we could look at this passage and say, well, Chris, that's one passage. It's not like the whole Bible or something. No. This isn't just an isolated incident. Jesus teaches over and over again about this thing called forgiveness. In fact, throughout his teachings, he does it again and again. And forgiveness is mentioned many times throughout the New Testament. Just look at some of these. Jesus says this, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The one that we just talked about, the beatitude. Matthew 6, 14, Jesus says this, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sin, what's it say? Your Father will not forgive you. Mark 11.25, Jesus says, But when you are praying, you ever do that before? You're praying, but you're kind of ticked at somebody all, all at the same time? Oh no, I forgot you're all holy. All these holy people here. You know, I tried playing a church with a whole bunch of messed up people, but nope, we got all the holy ones here, you know. But when you're praying, first forgive anyone that you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in Heaven will forgive your sins too. Stop judging others. And in Luke 6-7, Jesus says this, Stop judging others and you will not be judged. Stop criticizing others or it will all come back on you. If you forgive others, you will be forgiven. And finally, the Bible says this, For there will be no mercy for you if you have not been merciful to others. But if you have been merciful, then God's mercy toward you will win out over his judgment against you. Folks, in those verses alone, you have a lifetime for you to try to perfect them. But if you obey these verses, if you say, I'm going to work at them, maybe just one verse a month for the next five months, and each day you say, this is what I'm working at, the forgiveness barometer in your life will increase substantially. And the bitterness and resentment and the freedom that you will experience will grow in ways you'll never, you'll never realize. Also, this week as I was looking at this whole idea of forgiveness in my own life, kind of increasing, so I become a better forgiver, so I become more like Jesus. I found a couple of quotes. One was from a singer from the country of Nigeria, who had gone through his whole tribe at different times being killed, people in his family being killed. And he sings songs now about forgiveness. And this was one quote that he gave. As long as we are unable to forgive, we keep ourselves changed to the unforgiving. We give them rent-free space in our mind, emotional shackles in our heart, and the right to torment us in the small hours of the night. And then John Perkins, who has this organization, you should look up the website, it's the exact same thing, Journey Toward Forgiveness, simply writes this, The saddest people I know are those who are unable to forgive. The saddest people I know are those who are unable to forgive. Folks, it's time. It's time to forgive. It's time to let people off the hook. 
It's time for the pain to drain, to get unstuck, to step out and forgive. The reality is, folks, you've been forgiven a debt in your life that you do not deserve and that you can never repay. So no matter what the wound is that has encapsulated your life, whatever wound comes your way, it does not even compare to what the king did for you. He did something so great that it wipes clean away all of your sins. So as we close, let me help us to understand how I can become a better forgiver. How can you become a forgiver? The first step is this, to release the offender. Release the offender. Every single person here is broken. Each of you have been hurt and wounded by other people in your life, and you have hurt or wounded others. And someone has offended you in such a way that you're not sure you could ever forgive them. In our story today, when the king found this servant who had blown it, that he had failed to release this other guy who owed him such a small amount... The king gets upset and he takes the ungrateful servant and he throws him in prison to stay there until he repays it. And you know why he's in prison? Because of unforgiveness. And every time you live in unforgiveness, you set up a prison in your heart. The good news for us this morning is you get a second chance. You're here today and you have another chance. The servant didn't. It really doesn't matter who you haven't forgiven, what grudge you've been holding on to, but today you can release it. You can release that person today, whoever it is. This is your moment. So the question becomes, what are you going to do with it? Three years ago, one of my best friends from childhood named Matt embezzled thousands of dollars in his company, and he was arrested. And on the day of his arrest, his mother called me and said, Hey, could you come and be with him because he's just lost it. He's on his way to prison. So I left everything here in Muncie, appointments, everything, and I just went to be with my friend. Well, in the midst of this long process and of him collecting money and his parents mortgaging their farm, he was able to get off as long as he paid back everything that he owed to the employer. And we spent constant hours in negotiation, me, his parents, and the employer trying to work it out so he wouldn't go to prison. And everything was paid back that he had stole. And it was during this time in which he lost everything, but he still had three kids that he had to pay child support for, and he was out of work for such a long period of time that Jennifer and I, in our hearts, we prayed. And we gave a gift of substantial means 
that we knew he could never repay. We sent the check. He didn't even sign it. His mom signed it. And for over two years, I never heard a thank you or an appreciation for what we had sacrificed. We had sacrificed multiple mortgage payments so that he could be free. And there wasn't a single thank you given for two years. Well, bitterness and resentment kind of filled my heart. I know I'm a pastor and all, but, you know, kind of get ticked every once in a while. And one day I was teaching on reconciliation, and it just hit me that I needed to reconcile with this person. And so I did. And you know how you do this too, right? You don't go to the person. You just kind of do a half prayer to God, and you say, God, I forgive them. God, I forgive them. And I did. I forgave that him through God, but I didn't forgive him. I just forgave him through God. But in my heart, I was still hurt. I mean, I thought to myself, my best friend since childhood, and I felt used and misused. A year ago, I saw Matt. We got together with a couple other friends. And I'd forgiven him through God, remember? But when he walked in, all of a sudden that hurt, that pain, that anger came to the surface. This was a time that I was going through life's healing choices. See, I, go, I do these things before I ever ask you to do them. I was reading this book. We were starting Celebrate Recovery with small groups of people, and I wrote his name down as a person that I needed to forgive. And I thought, oh, I'm, I'm done. I, I've forgiven. But when I was preparing for the series, God said, Chris, you take care of business. And you know why I knew I had not fully released him? I hadn't fully released him? It was because every time his name was mentioned or his parents would come and talk to me, that hurt came up. I realized I had never prayed for Matt that God would actually bless his life. I never tried to understand the hurt that he must have been experiencing when he knew that close, very close, he was going to prison. All I was thinking about was me and the hurt that we had experienced. So earlier this week, I called him, and yesterday we met at Cracker Barrel. Now what you need to know is Matt is six foot two, two 270 pounds, and he plays arena football. Just a little guy, you know, not very big. And we sat down, and we ate breakfast, and we caught up on his life, and we caught up on mine. And, you know, I was going to be a chicken and thinking, ah, I don't really want to do this. But I took a risk, and I said, Matt, you know, part of the reason for us meeting today was not only for us to reconnect, but I wanted to let you know how much it hurt and how much pain I experienced in knowing. And it wasn't even about the money, Matt. 
but knowing that I had given sacrifice for my friend and you chose not to even say thank you or show any gratitude whatsoever for over two years. And this big six-foot-two guy starts bawling in the middle of Cracker Barrel. And then I went on to say, but I want you to know also that I want to ask your forgiveness. And he looks so puzzled. He's like, why? Why? And I said, because my heart has been so hard. And it got softer a little bit each time. But it never fully released you. Never fully released you. And so I could bless your life and ask God to bless it. And for you to be able to know that I understand. He said, of course. And here's this big giant of a man bawling in Cracker Barrel. And he says this. He says, Chris, I wrote these down. Chris, I am sorry. I am so sorry. I never meant to hurt you. During that time in my life, I was so lost. I had just gone through a divorce. I had lost my house. I had filed bankruptcy. My kids weren't speaking to me. And I was on my way to prison. But you were there for me. And I'm so grateful, Chris. It was the hardest time of my life. And then he said, the reason I never called you was because I was so ashamed I mean, I didn't want to admit that I had messed up, royally screwed up, and I had hurt so many people, this path of hurt. And I didn't even think you would even want to hear from me. In fact, I had plans to shoot myself, but when I looked at the picture of my three kids and my one friend, Who was there? I changed my mind. I want you to know how sorry I am. I apologize, and you will never know what it meant for me. Not just the gift, but that you were there. And I'm just now kind of getting my life together. Four years almost. Just now getting my life together. And so with this big... You know, full face of tears. We caught up a little bit more and we finished. And he said, hey, I'll I'll buy breakfast. I thought, darn right you're buying breakfast, you know. (laughs) I did too, man. I'm a Christian and all, but hey. In fact, I'm, I'm ordering lunch, you know. So we did that. We went out to the parking lot. We're getting ready to depart from each other. And he gives me a great big bear hug. And he says this. All the best stories of my life have you in them. I love you, bro. And then actually, he did say this too. He said, all right, that's enough. People are going to think we're sissies. And then we, <laughs> and we walked away. Folks, I know how hard it is to release people. I just told you how hard it was for me. But I did it. It took some time, but I did it. And you can too.
There's no more bitterness in my heart towards Matt. Yesterday it's gone. I pray that God blesses his life greater than my life would ever be. And I would be more than grateful to God for that. So let me ask you this morning, when is the best time for you to start repairing that relationship in your life? When is the best time for you to be a forgiver? Start today. Start right now. Start today. When you walked in this morning, in each of your programs, you received a piece of paper, just a blank sheet. I'd like you to pull that out. And what I want to do is I want to invite you right now to write down a name or names of people that you know you've never forgiven. It doesn't have to be a huge, big thing like I just shared. Maybe it's not that big. That's okay. Whatever it is. But you write their names down. And please don't tell me, oh, I can't think of anybody. I don't believe you. God doesn't believe you. He knows. So take some time right now, just between you and God, and you do some business. Do some business with God right now. And Derek and Kayla are going to lead us in a song. You don't have to sing it. They're going to sing it to you. For you to just do some business with God. And then we'll close in prayer and, and we'll be done. So you take some time right now. I want you to know the person who you write down, they don't deserve to be forgiven. They don't. He, she, whoever it is. But let him go. Let her go. Experience God's freedom in your life today. So take some time. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. That He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns His face as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory behold the man upon a cross my sin upon his shoulders ashamed I hear my mocking Call out among the scoffers It was my sin that held him there Until it was accomplished His dying breath has brought me life I know that it is finished I will not boast in anything, 
no gifts, no power, nor wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my his wounds have paid my ransom. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Now in just a moment, uh, I'm going to pray and I'd like you to take your sheet and just kind of crumple it up. And when we're done, there's two uh, trash cans that are back there. And uh, if you can today, I'd invite you to just throw it away. You're a sign of releasing that person. And I realize that for some of you, maybe you can't right now. I don't want you to do anything you don't feel comfortable with. But I'd encourage you to take it and pray and say, God, would you help me this week to do that? And then after that, we really do want to encourage you to check out some of these different ministries that you can participate in. To serve the one who paid the greatest step for your life. Let's stand for closing prayer. And you can just kind of make this uh, your prayer to God. God, thank you for always forgiving me. King Jesus, thank you for forgiving me every time I come to you. Thank you that you are never repulsed by the dark places in my life. But that you will always welcome me with wide open arms. Thank you for your mercy and your constant, unconditional forgiveness for me. Now help me today, God, right now in this moment. Because even as I crumple up that sheet of paper, God, it's so easy for me to leave from this place and just hold it. This guy, this woman, these people on this piece of paper. They've hurt me, God. They've wounded me. And they don't deserve my forgiveness. But God, I know that you cannot fully forgive me unless I forgive them. So as best as I know how, God, in this moment, in this day, I release these people to you. And I forgive them in your name. Amen. Don't forget to throw your paper away and have a great day. And please do check out some of the ministry things. Sign up for something.